uh, but we ought to retrieve it, I think, and uh, um, put our minds to uh, resolving it. It comes up, I think, in a timely way now because there's a fair amount of soul-searching uh, going on in the academic profession uh, of management. Uh, some of that is due to the uh, attribution of responsibility to uh, business schools for the current economic crisis, uh, but I think that's a sideshow in some ways. Uh, there's been a, a larger debate, in, in a way, about whether um, the capture of management schools by social scientists uh, is altogether a, a good thing. Um, clearly, so, uh, management schools, business schools, have been uh, colonized by economists and other social scientists, and in, in many ways, uh, their uh, research interests have constrained the, the range of uh, thought about what management as an academic enterprise uh, ought to be. So I, I'm coming at this kind of with, with fresh eyes, but recognizing that people have been talking about this subject for a long time, and some have even embraced it and made it work up to a point. And the question is, in part, uh, can we take it further? Has it run out of steam? Uh, can we take it further? And can it actually raise the quality of deliberation about what management should be as an academic enterprise? and what its relationship should be to social sciences. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the standard answer today, a common answer, is that management should become uh, an evidence-based uh, profession and an evidence-based field. Uh, and uh, you could see that as an attempt to say, we can find ways of taking theor theories of, say, human, human behavior and organizations and insert them in a fairly straightforward way into compelling advice about how managers should approach situations, deal with challenges. Um, uh, the Academy of Management is the place where these arguments have been played out. And uh, in some writings I could share with you, I think that the issue has been discussed in a way that looks simplistic uh, relative to the thought that's been given to these questions uh, by social scientists for a long time. So that's the uh, kind of context uh, for this. And uh, I think to uh, um, just situate me, because I mean I didn't uh, get my PhD in management, I got my PhD in political science, and I did study a bunch of other things along the way. Um, <clears throat> As uh, Saul has kind of pointed out to me, I'm, um, I'm a kind of freak of nurture in the sense that I've been exposed to quite a lot of interesting uh, thinkers. But the one person who's had the greatest impact and it's relevant for this discussion uh, is the individual who's my dissertation advisor, uh, Charles Lindblom, who was, uh, uh, who is still professor uh, emeritus, a sterling professor emeritus of uh, economics and political science uh, at Yale, now 94 years old. Uh, and uh, he can still, I've visited him very recently, and he can still tear me to shreds in argument. It's really quite impressive. Then uh, again, it's a, a low target. And the, and the particular uh, work that I have in the back of my mind as an exemplar of a very sophisticated treatment of the relationship between social science as an enterprise and social policy management and generally doing things in the world as another enterprise. Uh, this is a book called Inquiry and Change, which came out in uh, 2000 and, uh, no, 1990. Um, and uh, um, I had a chance to revisit this when I was talking at Yale a couple of weeks ago about the future of political science. But just to give you a feel uh, for that framing, the question here he was dealing with is, in effect, can social scientists uh, in any way help uh, the layperson uh, probe their volitions, think, deliberate about the action-oriented attitudes they hold, and perhaps thereby influencing the, uh, their deliberations about what to do in a here-and-now situation. He called this probing people's volitions. And he was, uh, by, by and large, the book is skeptical okay, about the contribution uh, uh, social science can make, but having presented the skeptical argument in chapter 9, he comes back and says, well, there's actually a number of things 
no one thing social scientists can do to help people deliberate about their volitions, as he called them, whether attitudinal or action-oriented volitions. Uh, but here's a list of, uh, of possibilities. I'm not going to go through this. You can see it. general point would be, I don't think we necessarily need a, uh, a one-liner uh, explanation or a characterization of what social scientists can do to aid what might be called practical deliberation uh, by people with real-world responsibilities. Um, um, I think what's missing from this list is, uh, and should be on it, perhaps, is uh, straightforward uh, advice on uh, how to deal with, with some uh, effectiveness, a challenge, uh, a type of challenge, usually, because we have to theorize, but how do you deal with a challenge? I think that comes up under uh, synthesis and design, in the spirit of it. Uh, but it could have been included more directly because in the field of management in particular, there's quite a lot of, of uh, texts and other vehicles of communication that, that lay out advice addressed to a person with, say, managerial responsibility in facing uh, any number of canonical uh, challenges. So what I'd like to uh, do, if nothing else, is get you to uh, accept that there are a number of issues that we ought to be talking about in this field. Um, with our students, I do this with my students, and I think we should be doing it uh, more generally. Um, and the first question uh, is uh, the Lindblom question, right? You know, how close is the connection between social science and what we can call uh, practical deliberation, where the issue is is what choices to make, and usually the argument goes along the lines of we should make this choice because of some advantage to be derived from it, perhaps because uh, some causal process is being activated. Uh, and I think we, uh, Lindblom would say the connection is tenuous but can be improved. Uh, the, I take the uh, evidence-based management uh, school of thought to say the connection is rather easy to establish uh, and we should go down that path. So I think that's a different position than a design science position, which is, I take it in my presentation, more, uh, uh, more conditioned, not skeptical, but more conditioned. And then, um, uh, can we make the connection closer? And I think uh, the field of management in many areas has made the connection fairly close, but in other areas, the connection is still tenuous, and maybe we can close that gap uh, if we uh, put our minds to it. And I would, uh, so then the practical question to start with is what would be required to strengthen the connection? You know, what, uh, that's not a specific proposal at this point. It's thinking of what we'd have to accomplish. What are the challenges we might set for ourselves if the goal is to have a closer connection between social science concerned with organizations, markets, and management on the one hand and practical deliberation about management choices on the other. Um, and uh, uh, I would take design science as a, a kind of approach with which, through which we might meet the need of strengthening the connection. Why is there a need to strengthen the connection in the first place? Uh, I think the, the standard argument, and you've heard it in many of the previous lectures, is that uh, lay probing, the way people reason, can be faulty. Okay? And uh, one, of the ways, one of the reasons it's faulty is people aren't clear in their thinking, particularly about social causation. And uh, they could be helped in getting that straight. I don't have a more sophisticated argument for this purpose uh, than that. So I, I would, uh, uh, I'd like to suggest that design science has already been a suitable approach, particularly for uh, addressing questions of organization design uh, less so for other management questions, in particular leadership questions, um, and where there's still some work to do in uh, de dealing with business questions, which are different and go beyond organization questions. So I'd like to then uh, suggest design science has been uh, already a suitable approach, but in a narrow field, uh, and we might sort of build on that tradition, but it's still going to take quite a lot of work to do effectively. And so the, there's a practicality question. Can it really be made to work? And uh, uh, this is a standard uh, 
scheme of argumentation, I would like to suggest that uh, adopting a design science approach and trying to make it work is by proposal. Okay. And like any proposal, you need to think about whether it's a good proposal. And there's a standard uh, scheme. Is there a need? I've made the general argument for need, which isn't hard to argue for in, a, in the LSE in particular. Is the approach suitable? Can we see the logic of it? Can we be sold on the logic of it? Putting aside whether we can actually make it work. And then there's a the question of whether real social scientists and in real institutions like this with busy uh, business people or public managers on the other end listening, can we make it work or is it going to be too feeble? You know, are we going to create some other mess that we don't intend in trying to do this? Uh, and maybe there is a better option. Maybe we should sign up to evidence-based management or just forget about practice uh, and to do something else. Okay, so there's a detailed version of this. Um, now, I'd like to suggest, as I did, that in the area of, in, when the question is organization design, there are, looking back at uh, 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 important milestone works in the field of management, uh, uh, quite a lot of good exemplars of a design science. Uh, people on the top are the, the uh, uh, historical figures in the field of management. And I think what's important about them is that they posed uh, a question uh, that has been uh, addressed with great vigor for a very long period of time. And the question essentially is, given that an organization is, uh, takes advantage of a division of labor through specialization, how do we get coherent action of the organization as a whole. And this, the, the challenge there is called coordination. There's other words for it, control is part of it, but basically the functional challenge that has been addressed in this literature is how one achieves coordination among uh, specialists uh, in a defined organizational context. Uh, good question, important question. Uh, we make great progress on that question. Uh, but, uh, and I'd like to share that with you to, to um, show why we might be confident that if we did the same kind of thing in other, with other issues, we might make equal progress over time. Now, having said that, and I'll uh, come, um, well, I'll come back to this. Now, let me, let me move to that point, sorry. I want to come back to the skeptical argument in a minute. Slight, uh, slightly, uh, uh, you know, this got kicked off in some ways, the effort to develop uh, a systematic account of coordination uh, as a functional problem, of dealing with coordination as a functional problem, uh, as, was advanced in the spirit of a design science by Herbert Simon, uh, who won the uh, Nobel Prize in Economics in 1981, uh, not 81, that was uh, Tobin, but in the late 70s actually, I think, 78. Uh, uh, the only uh, uh, Nobel laureate uh, who came from public administration. Um, and in a way, the term design science, by the way, comes from uh, his book, uh, The Sciences of the Artificial, which came out in a couple of different editions in the uh, late 60s and, and early 80s. Uh, and I'm trying to work a bit with his notion of, science, of, a, of a design science, but it's a pretty sketchy uh, notion. In terms of the organization theory uh, contribution, um, uh, I think one of the things to take into account is Simon was extremely uh, skeptical uh, about the traditional ways in which advice was given to managers about how to solve that coordination problem. Uh, and the basic critique was we don't have a good theory, general theory of organizations in terms of which to ground any advice about how to organize, even advice like have a, uh, um, uh, a unity of command or a division of labor in any kind of way. So uh, he, he set out an agenda then uh, to develop a general account of how organizations uh, operate and, and work, uh, how people, and in particular focusing on how people and organizations make choices called decisions. And he developed a quite rigorous uh, conceptualization of how organizations come to make decisions. And then he advocated this uh, as a general uh, uh, approach to 
doing social science for the later purpose of helping, of informing deliberation about organizational design choices. Uh, and I think he did uh, pretty well at that. Um, and if we look at the people who followed up on that agenda, uh, we could certainly look to the famous Henry Mintzberg, uh, and in particular to his uh, earlier, uh, uh, less popular work on structuring uh, organizations. Uh, you can find that, in fact, there's some uh, rather good uh, description of how coordination is accomplished uh, in complex organizations. And it's not a simple story, because there are many, uh, there are at least uh, a number of different coordination mechanisms that can do that work. And on the basis of that, he raised the practical issue, or the design issue, which is what, can, what choices can be made by management in order to put into place or institute or, 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 or realize coordination, the coordination mechanisms that can, that can solve that problem. So whereas as a description, we can uh, look at uh, uh, mutual adjustment, standardization, and, and direct supervision as, on, as actually how coordination is achieved. The design question is, how do we, for instance, create those skills? And the design question is, how do we organize training or how do we choose who to recruit given that they have been trained? Uh, and by making choices about these design parameters, uh, we can actually uh, and we can seek to shape the way coordination is accomplished in the organization. And that's the structure of the argument. And equally with the formalization of any uh, aspect of how the organization makes its choices and processes information. Uh, I think this is a high standard if you, if, you, if you read it, it's very dull to read, but it, it's an impressive um, account of both how coordination is accomplished and how we can think about making or deliberating about choices that will put into operation coordination mechanisms that solve a type of organization's coordination function. Now, the problem with this is that there's more to uh, management than solving a coordination problem. It's a very important administration it's the core of administration, but there's more to management uh, than that. So um, uh, one thing we could do then in, is to uh, look at how the, that approach has been taken forward to, to deal with a different challenge, a different question. Uh, and here I'm, uh, I'd like to put in perspective a very famous management theorist called uh, Michael Porter. And uh, a lot of social scientists and economists don't like Michael Porter and his work uh, for um, a number of reasons about which they've been quite ar ar articulate. But if we um, uh, look at it from this standpoint, it took a design science orientation. Question is, how do we make choices about, well, he calls them strategic choices, uh, about um, uh, how we perform our operations and perform our administrative functions. If the goal is not just to get coordination, but something else called making money over the long term, making uh, in the performance standard was above average profits uh, in that industry uh, for your business. So the unit of analysis shifted dramatically with this uh, um, development from being the organization thinking thought of as a collection of, uh, of individuals arranged in a role system to, um, to a business, a collection or set of related uh, activities through which uh, input conditions become output conditions of value in a marketplace. That's a quite radical shift in perspective. Um, I think important, certainly, in, um, uh, and it has a counterpart in the field of public management where the focus shifted from uh, the coordination of organizations to the performance of, uh, of public policy programs, which is quite like uh, a business uh, by analogy. Okay, and so what uh, I think this is a good example, uh, I mean, it's a step forward because it's beyond the coordination question, uh, but it's a, a very interesting account because what uh, Porter uh, does is identify the requirements some sense, the functional requirements of each and every component activity of a business. 
doesn't resolve, and, and he says that the requirements depend on your basic strategic positioning choice. So if you want to be a low-cost producer, your requirements for operations are different from the case that in which you're trying to differentiate your product or go into compete for a certain high-level, uh, high-end niche, for instance. Um, he says there's only a couple of major strategic choices for purposes of our discussion. And then the question is, what are the implications of those high-level choices for further choices that are, uh, that are uh, associated with a collection of activities? And then as you look through the analysis, he actually uses, uh, you know, in a kind of deductive way, identifies the derived requirements, derived functional requirements, for each one of these things, depending on what the big choice was, how you want to compete. The three, choice, the three choices being differentiation, niche, and uh, low-cost uh, producer. Okay? And then, interestingly, uh, there are references to cases. How do the references to cases come up? References to cases come up in answering the question, how might a given business fulfill those requirements? What would be an interesting, uh, what might be a, an unusual trick to pull to fill, fulfill those uh, requirements? That's quite different than the way uh, cases are often discussed, right? You can go through the whole details and you kind of imagine what, the, uh, what story you want to tell about it. He actually did look at experience, usually prepackaged in a Harvard Business School case, and asked, what is it about the way that business worked? that gives us insight into how to fulfill a functional requirement that's been identified deductively through his theory. That to me is a kind of design science. Now what are some of the characteristics of that? Uh, um, it's, it's neither deductive nor inductive overall. Okay? Uh, it, is, it begins effectively with a um, hypothesized uh, a hypothesis, a hypothetical representation of a business, which is maintained throughout the analysis, and there's the hypothetical representation of the business. It is uh, uh, a taxonomic uh, uh, kind of theoretical structure, and that and he says, you know, I, I would like you to accept that every function that needs to be performed by a business to make money is represented in the scheme. Okay, so it covers the the, the waterfront, 100% of all the work that needs to be accomplished in the organization is represented. He explores uh, um, and, and then works out deductively what is required by each of these functions, really individually and severally, because he's very interested in the linkages among them, in order to accomplish the goal of, uh, uh, of actually implementing your strategy, the goal of which is to make money. Okay, so this is a, quite an interesting movement beyond, I think, the Mintzberg uh, kind of approach. The question is not organizing and solving the coordination problem. The function is, is really achieving business success. And that's much more ambitious. Um, I think that, in a way, uh, they both use cases in a similar fashion, in that um, uh, they don't uh, analyze the case and draw the implications. They know, they sharpen up the question using concepts and argument and, and reasoning, and then look at examples for insight into what specific features of practice might be advantageous to solving the problem, to fulfilling the requirements. Minster's requirements have to do with coordination, order with making money. Um, so, like I said earlier on, that I think there are interesting and good examples of people who have tried to take the design science uh, principle seriously. And we can look in detail at those examples uh, to answer the question, what would be required to uh, pull off a design science and management uh, on a bigger scale, covering more of the waterfront of, uh, of, um, of management? So what is this design science idea? You can, I should put up something that says under construction. Still working on the best characterization. And hopefully Saul and I in the writing we're going to do are going to solve this problem. Uh, but I would like to at least say a couple of things about it. Um, one is uh, that it is um, 
effectively a form of deliberative uh, argumentation. Uh, this is an Aristotelian uh, term and a deliberative uh, argumentation. The topics of deliberative argumentation are choice and advantage, a standard uh, kind of a, a proposition in deliberative uh, argumentation is a choice uh, X is advantageous uh, because it gets you closer to a goal if you were to follow uh, the uh, advice uh, to make that choice. And there's more sophisticated versions like uh, uh, you should follow, uh, you should make this choice because doing so will achieve effects that are aligned with your goals and you can push it further and they will, they will achieve the effects because some causal process will be initiated or furthered or contained as a result. So, but nonetheless, the general, uh, this is not rhetoric about, you know, what is the identity and values of the organization. It's not rhetoric about who to blame for the crisis or who to praise for great things. It is a deliberative, uh, the idea is deliberative. Uh, now, then the question is, is how do we make that kind of rhetoric uh, more reasoned, more thoughtful, more informed by something called uh, evidence. And when you put it that way, I think you can go back to these design exemplars and say, hey, that's, there's an interesting idea there. Maybe the way forward is to have a taxonomic uh, um, theory of what are the challenges that an organization or a business or a program needs to overcome in order to be successful by some standard. Okay. Um, and then uh, we can do a lot with our theoretical or uh, conceptual tools in social science to give greater specification to what those challenges are. And when we are clear about and have clearly specified the challenges, that means you know, what you'd have to overcome if you're going to reach your goal, then we can look at experience and learn from it in a more uh, fine-grained way and a more powerful way than, say, just looking at a case and talking about what it might mean, drawing some lessons from it. We can see how the features represented in the case operated in, together in a context to create the effects that we can assess as fulfilling the requirements that we've specified through this more deductive argument. And that's at least a position about how we can learn from experience without simply just saying, let's go see what somebody did uh, and replicate that or emulate it in some undisciplined way. Okay, so um, that's my, uh, so, and if we are able then to um, build up a kind of system of reasoning that can be shared that will help people deliberate much more thoughtfully and rigorously about challenges, then we have a design science. That's my idea of it. Question is, can we apply, one question, further question is, uh, can we apply this uh, outlook, uh, this aspiration, to questions about action and leadership and not just choice of the features of a business enterprise or features of an organization? Um, and here I think we've got some work to do. Um, but we're not starting from, from scratch in this respect. There's a, uh, a, um, a popular uh, kind of book coming out of Harvard Business School and, and the Kennedy School by Michael Watkins called The First 90 Days, uh, which uh, I like and I make my students read and try to understand. Um, uh, and um, if you kind of just read it as a standard sort of air, airport bookstore book, you'll, you'll miss a lot. But it does begin to lay out an interesting uh, framework along the lines that I've described. And in particular, what I find uh, interesting uh, and is, uh, to, um, is his notion that uh, every uh, manager and every organizational unit and every business or program is always faces some kind of transitional challenge. It's not a true statement or false statement like any of these other things. It's an opinion, it's an endoxis, an assumption for purposes of getting deliberation going. Okay. Take it in that spirit. Uh, uh, and so an organization may face, uh, or business may face, 
issues of uh, the challenge of starting up. It's a certain kind of challenge. Maybe the organization has already started up, but it's uh, having a hard time. It looks like it's in danger of failure in any, uh, any number of respects. Um, we might call that a turnaround situation where the challenge is to have a successful turnaround. It might be that the organization uh, is uh, not, uh, is well established, not uh, about to um, experience failure, but has some recognizable um, existential issues and pressures that it needs to deal with uh, across many different aspects of the business or the organization, in which case a realignment conceptually is called for. That's the nature of the challenge. And then in order to make this a typology that fits like every situation, which he needs to do to make the argument work, he uh, includes this fourth uh, a type of transition called success sustaining. And the, the defining characteristics of that is that an organization is, is in a leadership position or otherwise um, uh, is in a kind of secure position, but uh, is aware uh, that it needs um, on prudential grounds to take actions today so that it will be as successful tomorrow. Um, so what's interesting here is, is that uh, uh, there's a, um, uh, like those other approaches to organization design and business performance, uh, there's a, there's a uh, starting point of a typology of types of challenges. Okay. And each of these then can be analyzed, I think, in terms of their functional requirements that, need to, that uh, could be the starting point for deliberating about a leader's actions and equally about some of the business choices that Porter was talking about. So um, uh, I find that an interesting theory sketch. Um, and, but then there's the question of, uh, well, how do, you, uh, uh, how do you identify the features of action sequences um, or other parts of the response to that challenge? which operate as ways of fulfilling the requirements of such transitions. Okay. So when we're talking about a, a value chain importer, we know where to look for those features. Uh, and we kind of have a, we can use our theories rather easily to pinpoint or to argue that these features of, a, say, the value chain have certain um, um, advantages for profitability. When we're talking about action by a leader, lines of action by a leader, I'm not sure we have as good a framework. I think we've got to work on, on that. Now, this is the point at which I um, uh, turn to my uh, source discipline of political science, um, uh, and in particular the way in which it borrows nicely from <laughs> sociology as a neighboring uh, discipline. And, um, and then, um, and I, I think we can borrow a lot from how, uh, in particular, large-scale social change uh, has been theorized. And, um, um, and the way in which research on historical episodes uh, has been used in order to gain insight into the causal processes that bring about change. So I tend to not look to psychology as the answer to this. I look to historical sociology for uh, methodology, methodological advice uh, on how to um, uh, approach this. And, and this is the part that needs some work. This is the part that's under construction, in a way. Um, and so if I wanted to uh, um, elaborate my proposal to deal with issues of, say, leadership and change uh, on the basis of historical sociology, I would uh, approach things in, in this way. And, and, and the idea, the important thing here, I think, to call to your attention is that the, the, the case studies, so you need to start with some case studies. Uh, and I think we really have to take the cases seriously, holistically, and more so than perhaps what has been done by Porter and, and, the, uh, and Mintzberg. Because we do have to understand the causal structure of events to understand uh, leadership and the effects of leader actions on transitions, on the outcomes of transitions. And so we really are back into a, a fundamental question for social science, which is how do we understand uh, causes, the causes of events in society? Um, which is, I think, one of these standard questions you ask in Oxford interviews. Uh, I was, did one of those mock interviews last year, and that was the question, can we understand the causes of events in society? And um, uh, the comparative uh, uh, political scientists and sociologists 
uh, lie in particular, I would point to uh, McAdam, Tilly, and Tarot, or McAdam, Tarot, and Tilly's book on dynamics of contention, say, yes, we can do that, provided that we go about it in certain ways. And I think one of the ways, there's kind of two suggestions uh, in that literature about how we uh, ought to do that. One is we ought to try to explain uh, the causes of events in society uh, by analyzing, giving an account of causal processes in terms of the activation of things called social mechanisms. And social mechanisms is an, a, kind of an important um, idea in analytical sociology. Um, uh, it's part of a broader movement in science to use mechanism-based uh, explanations. Um, a good example of a very familiar example of social mechanisms when it's rolled out as a general concept is self-fulfilling uh, prophecies. That is to say, if you believe in a proposition and you act on the basis of that proposition, uh, even if the proposition were true at the beginning, it would be true as a result of everybody's action. Uh, bandwagoning behavior would be an, uh, an example of a, uh, of a uh, social mecanism. Um, in McAdam, Tarot, and Tilly, the mechanisms have a lot more to do with uh, generating and directing volitional action, sustained volitional action on the part of uh, agents or actors in society. Uh, you can imagine how important this is in analyzing uh, uh, attempts to overthrow a regime, institute a new political regime. Uh, it works very in an interesting way in understanding social movements, for instance. And, uh, and so the mechanisms that they explore, which I think are very relevant to uh, issues around leadership, and in particular the meeting the functional requirements of these kinds of transitions, include actor certification, how people come to see themselves as, as um, capable of acting in the presence of other people in a kind of courageous way, in a, in a proactive way, in, a, in an energetic way. That doesn't come just from inside. There is a social process by which a person gets identified uh, as an agent for a certain cause. And they have to accept that idea themselves. That's the argument. And other people have to act in terms of that person in the same way. Um, attribution of opportunity and threat is another one of the mechanisms that comes up in this account. Um, uh, kind of an obvious thing, uh, but still worth analyzing. Performance feedback uh, as a mechanism, which is well understood in organization theory, is, I think, very relevant for understanding how the uh, functional requirements of a transition can actually be fulfilled. I think if we look at cases through, with those methodological tools in mind and then try to generalize about uh, um, processes, processes that are uh, the means through which transitions will be accomplished, we might be in a position to move forward. And a lot of my work uh, tries to do just that uh, recently. So here are the um, questions. Uh, as you can tell, I'm uh, uh, still moving in to, this, uh, uh, to my conclusions about this. But my, I would like to say, yes, uh, uh, design science notion of the connection of how social science can contribute uh, to the practice of management to me holds a lot of promise. Um, I think the, we, have, uh, we can establish uh, a closer connection between social science and practical deliberation if we do it right. Okay? I think uh, what's required to strengthen the connection is a, a couple of things. Uh, one is we, um, uh, through design science, one is that we should build on the models that have been successful in the past on, um, for example, Mintzberg on organizations and Porter on business strategies. Uh, we need to do work uh, on the leadership and transitions questions. And if we have all three of those things done, well, I think we can um, be reasonably satisfied we're making progress. I'll stop there. Uh, I know that questions are supposed to be uh, posed and answered, and I'd certainly be happy to do what I can. Thank you very much. Uh, Lloyd Gruber from Destin, um, it's a terrific talk, and it's so outside the box, I'm going to ask an outside the box question. A lot of the, the thrust of this is 
normative. We can build better organizations by um, applying some of these considerations. And I, I kept thinking about not the normative side, but the positive angle. Is it, is it the case, I'm, I wonder whether you think it's the case that if you look at the population of organizations in, in, a, in a society at any point in time, are they uh, more likely to conform to the kinds of, uh, are there structures likely to fit your notion or any notion of design science? And the two, I guess there's two cases where I think the answer's gotta be no. One is if the competitive environment is, uh, if there isn't a lot of competition in the system, then you might well see organizations that look completely dysfunctional that survive for years and years. And I wonder if that poses a challenge to uh, at least the positive aspects of what you're doing. And the second, I come, come at this from political science, and if you look at political organizations, I mean, look at Congress or look at almost any legislature or political system. These are organizations that survive, we often hope they survive at least, uh, that don't conform to any of this. There's not, uh, or not any of this, but there's a tremendous inefficiency built into the system. And uh, I wonder what you make of that. Does that mean that your uh, normative advice wouldn't apply to political systems, or maybe political systems it, it should apply? Just curious about your um, thoughts, really less on the normative side than on the positive side, of what organizations uh, look like and why they look the way they do. Well, I think, I think that's out of the scope of, the last question is out of the scope of my discussion, so I'm not going to deal with it. Um, uh, I think there may be a slight misunderstanding uh, on the first part of your question, on the first part of your question. <clears throat> when I say design science is a proposal, it's not a proposal for practitioners to accept. It's a proposal for the academics to accept. You talk to the practitioners in whatever language uh, uh, will facilitate communication. But I think uh, we could use ourselves a clear idea of what, uh, in, in management, of uh, what we're trying to do and, and why and how we can make it work. And it's that, uh, the, the existing discussion, that is a live issue in the field as, as evidenced by evidence-based management. I just think it's a puny discussion and, and very unimpressive and this would, you know, you don't have to go back very far in social science history to see a rather sophisticated treatment of it. And, uh, um, you know, maybe I'm a dinosaur, as I was made to feel when I went to Yale Political Science Department a couple of weeks ago, but I think we can uh, uh, do a hell of a lot better, both in describing the issues and even discussing them. On, now, it is a fact, I think the substantive issue you're raising is it's a fact that the, <coughs> um, uh, the, um, it would be surprising, right, if uh, advice about how to do management that is entirely deductive from some general idea of good organization, it would be surprising if you could take that, act on it in the real world, and experience the, the beneficial consequences you expect, given how badly organized and governed and owned public enterprises are and private enterprises. So the, the kind of design science that I'm talking about um, is, uh, is intended to try to find tricks that you can pull even in the presence of uh, uh, frictions and difficulties that make it very hard to get the benefits of large-scale social organization. And that's where the empirical part is crucial. Um, we need to look, in the public sector in particular, right, we need to understand what it is about the, uh, the, the context that might um, make the standard advice about what to do, what choices to make, um, uh, rather counterproductive to follow. Okay? I like to put my finger on those. And equally, there's a lot of people who go around, James Q. Wilson, for instance, who say, look at the objective conditions of government bureaucracy and political systems. And of course it's impossible to manage. And therefore, thank you very much for your attention. And I think that's not the right way to go about it either. I think it's uh, very important 
Um, and this is maybe where the sort of old social change and organizational behavior tradition comes in, to look at uh, conditions that look uh, adverse and figure out how to act in relation to them so that, in fact, you get a bounce, or at least you can avoid the problems. And I think it's, it's, it's with that attitude, which I consider kind of Hirschman-esque, uh, that I think we need to bring to bear in studying actual cases but you can't get a very much definiteness about what you're looking for, what you're, gonna, what you're gonna argue on the basis of if you don't start with some framework like a, that I'm suggesting. Uh, this question, whether it is a social science or a decision science, uh, what practical significance does this have to a practitioner of management Could you say a bit more to, so I have more insight into your preoccupation? Uh, because uh, I, I am a management graduate and uh, I've been involved with an NGO in India for quite some time in managerial and leadership positions. And uh, I found that in my experience, uh, in many cases, uh, it requires to, to be a decision science. In certain cases, you know, we have to be on the social science side. So is it, is it purely contextual? that uh, which approach we take? Um, well, I think um, not sure I had no enough from what you're saying to, to respond, I'm sorry. Saul? Let's just look. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's take the Harvard Business School kind of approach, um, which maybe I'm out of date, but the, certainly my image of it, having you know gone through the degree programs. I think if you look for the um, if you look at the history of philosophy and wanted to use a category from that to describe the structure or practice of practical reasoning that they they operate. It's called casuistry. Okay. Casuistry. Okay. Uh, so, um, and I think the idea is you, you try to establish a few general principles that everybody gets, uh, buys into, gets inculcated in, and there's no really, uh, you, can't, you can't even, they're not up for discussion. Um, and then you look at uh, across cases, and then you, at any given case, and you try to judge what is the appropriate or effective action to take. You give an account of your, of that holding, of that a, a, a holding in the form of an opinion. Uh, and then everybody in this community is supposed to remember the holding and the opinion the next time they face a, a, a difficult case. And they're supposed to use that to improve their judgment. Okay, I mean, that's good because it's about practical judgment and, you know, discussion is a good thing and all that. But uh, it's, I think, uh, creates a culture in which, as the traditional Jesuits operated this thing, where you can't question the basic principles, they're out of discussion. There's no, uh, there's, there's, there isn't the social uh, organization of a closed community of uh, sacerdotes of people who have this conversation over and over and over again to make that method of uh, improving judgment actually operate. I mean, it operates while you're there for two years, but it doesn't operate anywhere else. So I think moving in the design science direction is advantageous because it doesn't require that high context discussion, it doesn't require that form of social organization to operate, or so I think. Having the typologies of cases, having a deductive uh, argument in terms of which you can define the challenges the functional requirements of the challenges in some detail, look at the case for answers about an unusual or creative trick people have pulled, 
in various kinds of circumstances to deal with those things. I think that's, that's different. And I think the evidence-based one is so sketchy as a proposal, I can't even, I don't even know how to compare it. But I think it's more about rule-based decision-making and the creation of generalizations through uh, systematic, not comparison of cases, but systematic uh, quantitative variable-oriented research on cases to back up rules that people will follow uh, independently of their personal judgment about the circumstances. And I think that's a kind of Kantian approach. It's not, it's not working. Does the academic milieu help or hinder the transition of management into a design science? I was intrigued by the fact that most of the sources you put up were books, and there's increasingly a discussion that the journals in management, the Academy of Management Journal, the National Review, are out of touch with, in a sense, the the practical realities of management, which I think maybe design science um, touches upon more. So do academic norm standards of excellence possibly hinder the evolution of management into a design science? Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I would just cite, uh, there's a, a very important academic uh, now just went uh, emeritus called Sidney Winter. Nelson and Winter is the, the book. Uh, if you talk to him, he just went, he was at working for the last 15 years, and he's incredibly pessimistic about the future of management. In fact, about social science uh, in general, and social science in management schools in particular. So um, um, it, one could be quite depressed about this. Um, but I have to say, when I've, uh, you know, we were traveling on a plane not too long ago, I told you this, and I showed him uh, the course outline that these people are taking, and he said, you know, I've been complaining about this for years, and you've just gone ahead and done it. So I think my general conclusion is, and I've been here 15 years now, if it can be done anywhere, it can be done at the LSE in the Department of Management. Thank you. <laughs>